0: Hello, welcome everyone to our webinar, Building Best-in-Class MSLs. My name is Helen Kane and I am delighted to be joined today by my colleague Kevin, who will introduce himself shortly. So wherever you are in the world, we're very happy to have you with us here on these webinars that we run as part of our One MSL community series. As you can see from the slide, my name is Helen Kane. I am CEO of One MSL. We are dedicated to supporting organisations to building best-in-class MSLs and enabling MSLs and MSL leaders to be best-in-class. Kevin, would you like to say hello?
1: Morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Kevin Williams and I'm the Learning Development Lead here at One MSL.
0: What I'd like to start off with is when we talk about building best in class MSLs. And this slide is really um, supporting your reason for joining the call. We often talk about the professional development journey. And you can see um, at the beginning here, we have the aspiring MSL. Um, Every day we receive emails from individuals who are keen become an MSL and they're asking how best we can help them and of course we direct them towards the One MSL community where there's a ton of resources there which will allow you to identify how you could best prepare for an MSL role in the future. So for anyone who's with us who's an aspiring MSL, really what you need to do is to identify the capabilities that are associated with being a best-in-class MSL. So you can look to upskill or enhance your level of competency as best you possibly can so that when you finally have that opportunity to go for interview, you can demonstrate that you have the necessary skills to be effective in role. And for anyone here who is an MSL or even as a leader, if you're thinking about your new to role MSLs, what is critical is that the onboarding programme provides the MSLs with the knowledge and skills that are essential for them to be effective in role. And we know from the surveys that we now conduct on an annual basis, excuse me, that some organisations are not yet at a point where they have a formalised onboarding programme in place. Onboarding is simply around the scientific data. And what we're going to show you as we move through the webinar is that capabilities for the MSL are about much more than simply your scientific knowledge and expertise. For anyone on the call who is an experienced MSL or an in-role MSL, as you will know, it's one of the biggest challenges that MSLs face is having the time to upskill because the day job can be so demanding. And actually, it's really important that we are seeking to understand what are our current developmental needs and how might those best be addressed within the organization so that I can continue on my professional development journey to the point where I am regarded as experienced. And it's really interesting for us because very often we hear people saying, well, my MSLs are really very experienced. And our challenge back is very often that time in role does not necessarily equate to experience because MSL capabilities are evolving and evolving at quite a pace. So it's really, um, it's a really important question to ask, what are the capabilities that my MSLs or I need to have in order to be best in class at this time within our organization's journey? And finally, once you've moved along your journey and you are at the point where you are a medical leader that is clearly an opportunity for you to really support your team and your uh, colleagues so that they might be best in class. So at One MSL, those of you that follow us on our LinkedIn presence we're very fond of, of quotes And this one by Aristotle actually is is really powerful. So, you know, um, once we have the privilege of securing an MSL role, it's really important that we never lose sight of our ultimate goal. So our ultimate goal, people talk about excellence. We talk about best class, whatever the language is that you choose to use. This requires high effort and dedication. So what are the objectives of our webinar today? And our objectives are that by the end of this session, so it will probably be about, I would say, just under an hour, you will be able to determine the actions that you need to take as an individual or for your team to develop best-in-class capabilities. So let's look here at a very simple illustration um, representing gap analysis. And when we think about a gap analysis, so basically what it's telling us is where are we today? Where is it that we want to be? What is our desired state? And then what do we need to change in order to achieve that desired state? And the factors that are identified can then be contained within an action plan. And what we can share with you is that sometimes when we are invited in by organisations to discuss with them what they might seek to do to build a best-in-class team, we will conduct a gap analysis with them. And the outcome of that usually is a roadmap. And that roadmap can contain a huge number of variables, but then, what we seek to do is we seek to prioritize. So, what are your priorities? Because clearly, it's not possible to achieve everything that might be identified. But the starting point needs to be the action plan or the roadmap. And from there, then you can determine where you're going to focus moving forward.
1: Helen, sorry, just a a point on that one. Mm -hmm. That might not necessarily be a training course. And and often people look for a training course. That could be a complete revision of um, systems and processes. For instance, for onboarding, as you you mentioned earlier, uh, to make sure that actually the things that you already have are delivered in the right way at the right time to enable the best outcome. So it's not necessarily about adding something
0: in. I completely agree, and, and you know that we talk about the sticking, the, the, the plaster effect, mm. we need to do a training course, actually in our experience sometimes what you need to do is go back to basics and, and look at what is your baseline um, knowledge, uh, how our baseline knowledge and skills um, shared within the organization. And as you said, very often that's through onboarding. And onboarding for us is not simply, as I said earlier, is not about the data alone. It's about everything that we need to know to be effective in our roles as an MSL. So best in class. And this is a question that we're asked a lot. What does a best in class MSL look like? And the reality is that there are many answers to this, and it depends on your organisation, the size of your organisation. It depends on where you are, where your drug is in terms of its life cycle. There are just so many variables that um, can affect what best in class might mean. So if you're part of a larger organisation where you've got a significant amount of resource, dedicated to the MSL role, then it's quite likely that your role might be narrower. If you're part of a smaller biotech, it's more likely that the breadth of responsibilities will be huge. And and then that requires you to consider best-in-class in in a different way. But ultimately, uh, what we're seeking to do here is to talk about what might best-in-class look like? What what could that look like for your organisation? So this slide, we're now going to look at the evolving MSL role and certainly since my time in industry, I have seen huge changes um, in the role and the responsibilities and the associated activities. And certainly um, for those of you that are on the call at the moment, um, I wonder how many of you see that the role of the MSL is simply to to go out and present scientific data. So the idea that we have an opportunity to engage with a physician and we believe that for most of that time it's our job to talk at the physician. And actually, it's now very, very clear that um, that is not what physicians want, nor what they need, nor what organizations need, because in essence, what we need to be doing is engaging in dialogue that is of mutual benefit. So, dialogue, of course, is a two way conversation and exchange of opinions and ideas. So, the idea being, that through our scientific engagement, we seek to understand uh, physician needs, views and opinions. Of course, the role of the MSL is to be a scientific expert, but how do we as MSL clearly differentiate ourselves from our promotional colleagues? Because there are many very technically competent sales colleagues out also engaging with our physicians. So how do we articulate our role? How do we communicate the role of the MSL so that our physicians are clear that we are not seeking to engage for promotional intent? And if we are using all of the skills that are available to us, so it's not simply our voice, but we're also using our eyes and ears, and we are being clear in our communications, then we can become recognised as the, uh, the face of medical, the external face of medical. And finally, this point touches to the fact that very often when we are engaging with physicians, we feel the need to respond. To their questions with robust responses, yes, of course, I'm able to address your concern or your challenge. But sometimes it is possible that um, the question that is being asked is not the question that they intend to ask. Um, and what we really need to seek to understand is. Um, What is the thinking that is driving the question and can we use those questions to gather high value insights that of course are so valuable and this is really one of the hottest topics for the industry at present. But how do we avoid being an interrogator? Um, In other words, simply someone who's asking a series of questions. So how do we use questions in a very natural way to gather high value insights? So. This is one of Kevin's favourite slides and and I guess that it sort of touches to the experience one, doesn't it Kevin? Do you want to say anything about this?
1: Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, experience doesn't necessarily mean uh, longevity, so it's not time in role Uh, and often we we meet people who say, you know, I've been doing this job for 15, 20 years, you can't teach me anything And, and... you know, in terms of the actual skill, that, that might be right if we lived in a vacuum. But unfortunately, we don't live in a vacuum. Uh, our environment is changing constantly. And so we need to think about what changes are happening. And we need to change in order to meet those. That's the stuff that's outside of air control. So there is no one that doesn't need to develop in some way, is my belief.
0: I agree with you. And it's that level of self-awareness. So this is actually um, a slide that I think tells quite a powerful story. Very often as an MSL, when we are engaging with an external stakeholder, we are so pleased, firstly, to have an opportunity to engage and we have an agenda and we may have some clear objectives and we have some data that we are willing to share and we have a reason for engaging. So we are very clear about our needs and our organisational needs, but how often is it that we stop to think about the reality of our stakeholders? And you can see on this slide that we have attempted to share some of the factors which may be driving your stakeholders reality and you know in the middle in the green that they are an industry magnet of course for many KOLs within certain disease areas they're engaging with many organizations they will be engaging with multiple individuals from within those organizations and this really for me reinforces the need for the MSL to clearly communicate their role and the value that they are able to bring to that physician. And that's just one particular component that we're looking at here. So you can, I'm sure that those of you who are on the call can look at this and say, actually you're right, the physicians that I am engaging with are probably having to deal with all if not most of these components in terms of their daily reality and if all of that wasn't enough who could have predicted that a few months ago the entire globe would be faced with the fact that we're having to deal with a a pandemic none of us could ever have imagined. So the impact of Covid-19 of course has had massive repercussions for all of our physicians and whether that they're thinking about their professional worlds and their patients and what they may or may not be able to do for their patients of course is one aspect of their daily life but in addition like all of you here on this call they have a life outside of work they may have families they may have children they may have friends who are being impacted by this. So I think that um, COVID-19 has really given us all a reason to stand back and think about our roles and think about what are the skills, what do we need to know and do to be most effective around engaging with our physicians at this time and I am aware that for some of you it may be that your organisation has made a decision that you will not be um, proactive in terms of your engagement with physicians at this time and that is entirely appropriate, that is an organisational decision and so it may feel that that you're feeling a little bit disconnected and this is undoubtedly a really challenging time. For others life may be continuing as normal but whatever your reality is take the time to think about what is going on potentially for the stakeholders that I would like to be engaging with and what impact might this situation have in terms of my my future interactions. So I'm now going to just touch um, on best-in-class capabilities. And um, we call this the triangle of success. So you can see here that we have knowledge at the base of our triangle of success. Of course, our scientific knowledge and expertise underpins Um, our ability to be the face of medical, to engage as scientific experts for our drugs and our therapeutic areas. But you can see that in addition to that we have skills and we have behaviours and we're going to take a little bit of time to explore these as we move forward. Um, And at the core of the triangle of success is our purpose. So this really, again, allows us to think back to the conversation about what is best in class. So if you think about it in the context of the purpose of the MSL within your organisation, that needs to sit at the centre. And then you can have, sitting around that, the necessary skills, behaviours and knowledge that are required in order to drive best in class capabilities. So you can see here that we have demonstrated for you some very nice icons relating relating to knowledge, skills and behaviours. But in addition, we have attitude. So the environment that Kevin alluded to, so not only has COVID-19 created a, a huge shift in our external environment, But I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the McKinsey paper, this vision for medical affairs in 2025 and um, this paper really has at its core the whole idea of medical being the third pillar within the organization and um, thinking about what we need to do um, as organizations to improve the patient experience and and, and outcomes. And steps two and three really lend themselves to the role of the MSL. So where we're starting to think about personalised engagement, we're starting to think about the knowledge and skills that we need to have in order to really improve the patient experience, because as we all know, the patient sits at the heart of everything that we do. And what McKinsey also include within this paper, and if you haven't had an opportunity to read it, it's easily accessible online. It's not particularly long, but actually it it really is quite a good read. And they talk, to the capabilities here. So it's interesting that that we talk about the triangle of success and McKinsey have also represented the need for evolving capabilities and in fact this paper is about the wider medical function but of course we know that the MSL is one member of the wider medical affairs team and you can see here that they also recognize the need for organizations to consider the strengths that need to exist um, in order to really achieve the vision of being so patient-centric. Kevin, I think this is over to you.
1: Lovely, thank you Helen. Um, Yeah, so I just want to spend a few minutes thinking about the triangle of success in a little bit more detail Um, and I think that if we first, before we move into knowledge, if we look at purpose, and I think role, purpose, and value is something that can never be ignored, particularly in the changing environment. As we said, you know, even before um, this pandemic, people from within pharmaceutical companies were finding it harder and harder to interact with healthcare professionals, and often the doors to the medical affairs team are open for longer. And there's, there seems to be some confusion um, as to how the role of medical and the role of commercial is actually delineated um, at this time. So, so thinking about it, when we talk about the organisational responsibilities to, to generating best in class uh, MSL behaviours, we need to think about having that clarity of, of role and purpose. So, as Helen said, that the, the kind of foundation of the MSL role is in knowledge. You know, that's why um, you will have been hired because you have the ability to generate this deep understanding of the disease, the therapy um, that you're involved with. But that, that the needs within your knowledge grow day by day. And I am amazed by um, just how many things you have to know. And remember, if I think back to my early days in medical, it was a much simpler uh, place. We now need to think about therapeutic strategy and how what we're doing aligns to that strategy. And you will have seen within the McKinsey report that actually they talk about business acumen now as a real foundational skill for, for medical to have. Because there is limited resource, we need to think about um, where you spend your time, we need to think about therapeutic guideline uh, pipeline from within our own company, but also you'll see further down uh, competitor therapies and competitor pipeline. Really important, understanding healthcare environments and it, you know wherever you sit within the world, that is becoming more and more complex. Uh, there is no one size fits all. The way that healthcare is being funded, the individuals that you're having to have conversations with changes all the time. We need to think about clinical research. We need to think about where the role of the MSL starts and and the role of the, the clinical research team stops and how you manage that overlap. And then, of course, this really important skill of critical appraisal. So actually, rather than, as Helen said, in the traditional Role kind of sharing information, being aware of how that paper might be appraised by one of your HCPs, and being prepared to have that scientific dialogue that challenges each other, um, which is what you know a good dialogue should do.
0: It was interesting the point about therapeutic strategy, and I just think that, um, you know, it. it kind of feels that we're stating the obvious here, but we are constantly amazed by the number of MSLs that are basically being tactical. That they're out there engaging because clearly they, 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 they need to be busy, they need to be engaging. But it's only when we can really demonstrate that the activities that we're doing are aligned to our medical strategy and our critical success factors, can we then start to think about how we demonstrate the value that we're bringing to the organization? Because that is one of the biggest challenges that we face, is that demonstration of value. So really ask yourself and and think about your teams, is what we're doing, are we being tactical? Are we simply doing for the sake of doing, or are we being operationally effective, thinking about our strategy?
1: So skills, skills seems very obvious. Um, and again, uh, it, it sounds like we're, we're trying to teach granny to suck eggs. I hope that translates. I can never think of a, a, another uh, saying to, to highlight this, but actually planning for HCP engagement is something that we're constantly asked about. Um, and, and when we're running trainings, actually it's often after the training that people, very experienced people, come to us and say, do you know what, I didn't know that my planning was as bad as it is uh, until you highlighted to me what good planning looks like. So again, this links directly to having good business acumen, to having a clear idea about who our stakeholders are from an HCP perspective and thinking about what we're trying to achieve. So what does strategy tell us? Um, and how do we link those things together. Uh, communicating data is something that most people find relatively easy, but again, taking this from the one-way transactional uh, interaction to this two-way dialogue. Being able to have a plan in our heads about what we're trying to achieve, but being able to plan for diversions, where actually the most important thing on our HCP's mind at that moment in time is something completely different to the conversation we thought we were going to have. I don't think there's anyone that can't improve their listening and questioning skills. Um, Again, as we find ourselves having less and less time with our HCPs, we need to be able to maximize the impact of that reduced time through really good listening and questioning. We need to be effective in handling challenge and seeing that as an opportunity is a demonstration of interest in what it is that we're, we're trying to say. So rather than feeling threatened or scared by those, how can we turn that into a positive? Helen's already briefly mentioned this and we're going to come on to it in, in a bit more detail a bit later on. But engaging virtually, this is something we were talking to a, a client fairly recently um, who said before the pandemic, probably less than 1% of the interactions that were happening were happening virtually and then overnight it became 100% where you can actually engage at all. So it's thinking about how prepared are we to make that happen. And then this relatively new role for the MSL in terms of generating insights. So actually having um, insights that need to be generated during an interaction. But not turning that into going from a one-way of delivery of information to someone that just asks questions and becomes an interrogator. Uh, Helen, I know you've got a, a, a really good, snappy way of describing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I just think that um, because insights is such a hot topic, and and um, organisations feel that MSLs, need to to be out there generating insights um, and and they might be quite clear about what the insights are that they want the MSLs to gather but in the absence of people having the right training what is happening is that MSLs are moving from being away from being presenters of data to being interrogators of physicians and that they're, they're simply going in with a, a list of questions. And physicians are now, we, we heard of one organization where physicians were saying, you know, if, if you, this is market research, if you want to ask me a series of questions, you, you know, you're going to pay me. And we're at risk then of really muddying the waters in terms of our role. So what we have to do is we have to find a happy place that sits between, um, presentation and insights generation and there's quite an art to this and I think that again it, it's when you have the opportunity to to train people in real time that they start to appreciate the subtleties and how it is entirely possible to gather insights in a very natural way as opposed to just being seen as, as the interrogator.
1: And then there's the behaviours um, and behaviors, obviously, are the way that we do things. Um, so it's about maintaining this non-promotional stance, uh, but also thinking about particularly, uh, you know, at times like this, uh, inside or outside the, the pandemic, how do we maintain our motivation when actually our job is becoming harder? How do we turn from something that was re- very um reactive or more reactive in in earlier times to being proactive, to consciously make a decision to go and visit an HCP in order to uh, generate these insights or to to develop a a mutually beneficial relationship, which is the most important thing. How do we maintain our enthusiasm and how do we generate our collaboration, both internally, so with the cross-functional team, Um, And externally, where we're working with a network of HCPs to achieve an outcome for patients. And this, for me, is the thing that I think we can all do better. Um, So it's thinking about the attitude that we take to our daily work. Do we have a fixed mindset? Do we believe that everything that we're doing is right, that actually change is bad, that I don't want to take part in this anymore? Or do we approach things with a growth mindset where failure is an opportunity to grow, where challenges help you grow, and where you see joy in, in actually trying new things? However small those things are, these don't have to be revolutionary changes. It's just actually being open to doing something a little bit different. So why do a gap analysis? You know, We talked about it right at the front of the, um, the webinar. Um, And and I think this is quite an interesting thing to think about. So if an individual or an organisation does not make the best use of their current resources or forgoes investment in personal development, they or the organisation may perform below their potential. So it's the thinking about what could I do better rather than just sitting there believing that everything is good really challenging yourself to what, could, what you could do better and for organizations to absolutely acknowledge that times are changing, that we might think that we have best-in-class MSLs within the organization but you're probably not the only organization thinking that as well. So you know looking at things like attrition rates how many of their MSLs are moving? Because traditionally it used to be the kind of role, so you got into medical affairs and you stayed in medical affairs. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Um, and people want really good MSLs. There are some organizations, and we have one client where the medical affairs department is the uh, biggest department in the organization because of where they sit within the pharmaceutical marketplace. Those are the kinds of organizations that are going to be tempting really good MSLs away. So what can we do as an organization to help people stay? Because when you look at the global survey that we ran earlier in the year, people cite development opportunities as one of the main reasons that they will leave an organization. I've just given a a really simple kind of example of what you can do there so if we think about impactful HCP engagement as the competency that you want to improve break that competency down into its component parts uh, so here uh, and this is not an exhaust, exhaustive list but thinking about HCP identification planning introducing role company purpose questioning listening sharing data and gaining commitment then think about what do I know about that component part, what do I need to know about it, what does best practice look like, what do I do and what could I do better and if you break things like this down you will see very clearly what your development need is and you can create that into your development plan and I absolutely love this quote, I came across it last week, I've never seen it before Uh, But it really highlights what I believe about this kind of thing. So knowing what to do and not doing it is exactly the same as not knowing what to do. So actually, if you know there is something that you can do better and you choose to do nothing about it, that's worse than not knowing uh, what to do. I've obviously exaggerated there, but I hope you get the, um, the drift of what I'm saying what do you need to do? It's about identifying a goal. It's about setting yourself something that you want to achieve and then thinking about what tools and support do you need to be able to do that. So lots of people say, well, you know, I haven't been given that opportunity. I would challenge those people back and say, have you asked for that opportunity? So if you're thinking about Um, wanting to improve in a particular skill. Have you asked what opportunities there are available within your organization? I know we've got a group of uh, people here who are aspiring MSLs. How many of you know, if you're working within an organization and trying to become an MSL within that, or you're sitting outside of of the industry at the moment wanting to be an MSL, how many of you have uh, thought about the competencies that you're going to need to be able to demonstrate as an MSL and thought about ways that you can um, create that development plan for yourself before you get there. So thinking about things like questioning and listening, relatively basic communication skills, but what can you do in the life that you already have that would get you practicing those kinds of skills? This doesn't have to be high impact development, it doesn't have to be formal training, it just needs to be a way of generating better, oh, generating opportunities to practice those skills and being able to demonstrate that at interview. So, so think about that. And what we need to think about from an organizational perspective, those of you out there that are medical leaders, are we really clear about what it is that we want from our MSL team? Do we have clearly outlined roles and responsibilities? We may have a job description. When was the last time we reviewed that? Does it still work for today? Are we asking people to do things outside of that? If that's the case, is that the right thing to be asking and should it be added to the job description? Because once it is, you can then work out clearly defined competencies uh, and actually you can um, develop those competencies into a behavioural matrix so that people know how they can develop each of those competencies. And then once you've got those, you can create a robust recruitment process aligned to those competencies. So actually, from the moment people are employed within your company, you know what their development plan needs to look like. And they know what their development plan needs to look like, which means you can generate a comprehensive onboarding program. That's not just knowledge, that's skills, that's attitude, that's strategy, everything we've talked about. You can then create clearly defined objectives with measures of success. Um, As a leader, you can role model. So actually, you can't ask people to be really good communicators if as a leader yourself, you could improve your communication skills. And actually being open to, to demonstrating that you have skills that you're working on can be one of the most powerful things that you do as a leader and then as an organisation providing your teams with access to training, mentoring and coaching across all levels of the organisation. Development doesn't end, we need to think about that um, so that everyone is actually seeing that there are things that they could do better and they're putting plans in place to improve that.
0: Yeah, so what about today? Um, How the world has changed? So um, it was interesting that a number of you identified virtual engagement as a as a key need and 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 really um, that this is just so indicative of how quickly our environment can evolve and how we need to be to be responsive and um, you know virtual engagement with your hcp so whether that is via email whether it's via a phone call or indeed whether it's using an online platform is an opportunity and it's probably an opportunity that is is really requested and needed by some of our HCPs and of course it's an opportunity for us to continue to build our trusted scientific partnerships but the reality is that engaging with your colleagues and your your friends you know we're all back to back with zoom meetings today is quite different to engaging with our physicians. And that is everything, thinking from the, you know, the technology, thinking about our timings, thinking about maintaining engagement, um, managing large groups. Do are we engaging one-on-one? Are we engaging groups? How do we really seek to build rapport? There are just so many aspects of virtual engagement. That really need to be considered in order for us to be truly effective and of course none of that engagement comes about unless we have been able to communicate our value proposition. So Maria your comment about not just to be another MSL, what is the value proposition? What do you have to offer your physician so that they see the value of engaging with you virtually because we all are facing huge challenges. Um, at this time. And, and of course, um, the, their ability to engage with you may be very, very limited. You may only have a few minutes in which to connect with them. So how do you ensure that you make those few minutes count? So what we predict is that um, virtual engagement will be the norm moving forward. And there are huge advantages to that because you can be as effective engaging virtually as you are face to face. And and of, of course, we all prefer the opportunity to engage face to face. But how long will it be before we're able to do that, if ever, in the way that we have done it before? So again, really important considerations for you in your role and for your teams. And this survey, um, these are the findings from our 2019 survey. So you can see here that um back when that question was answered, then almost all MSLs were engaging face to face, either formal or formally or informally, and although 41%, so you can see here this was an N number of 330. I imagine if we were to repeat the survey today, that we would have this figure being replaced by 99% or 100%. And of course, that really then asks us to think about the skills that we need to use in order to be effective. So, irrespective of, of what your means of engaging is, um, just think about how you can be most effective in that very precious moment.
1: Helen, can, can I just? Uh, add something there it's Mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting to see the high numbers of email Um, if we had more time uh, it'd be good to to explore this a bit further but how many of you have standard emails either created by your company or created by yourself so you um, you use the same kind of standard format to contact your HCPs that's something that you might want to look at based on what you know about your HCPs, if, if any of you are familiar with the um, kind of uh, insight colours, those kind of things, actually there are really subtle differences in how you should write emails according to the recipient um, to make sure that they have uh, greatest impact. And then things like telephone skills, you know, it's probably something that, that we're not necessarily trained on in such a way as, as people who work in call centres are but actually they talk some really key things like smiling whilst you're speaking on the telephone. It changes the tone of your voice and makes you more uh, listenable too. So thinking about that kind of thing too can make a real impact.
0: Absolutely, and, and of course we all understand that compliance has a huge part to play in terms of our emails. So our emails of introduction, so it's quite likely that those have been approved internally by your legal and compliance terms for very, very good reasons. And just to sort of clarify what Kevin is referring to is when you are engaging with a physician that you might already have an established relationship with, what is it that you need to be saying in order to acknowledge that um, for all of us, we are living in in different times and, and we wish we had a lot more time here.